this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. Hello and welcome to The Drinking Hour here on Food FM with me, David Kermode. This week, it's Fair Trade Fortnight next week. So what does that actually mean when it comes to wine? And why should we care? We'll ask Rollo Gab of Journey's End Winery in South Africa. His own journey, taking him from Oddbins to the Hacienda nightclub and then London's restaurant scene, is uh, fascinating too, so we'll find out more about that. Uh, plus, of course, as ever, your recommendations for medal winners from the IWSC. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. His wines are called Journey's End, but Rollo Gab is still very much on that journey, and it's been an eventful one so far. With an impressive portfolio of wines, seen on restaurant lists and also on supermarket shelves, which is a reasonably unusual combination, showcasing the diversity and quality, not to mention the sheer value that South Africa can deliver. Some of those flagship wines are also fair trade certified so as we mark fair trade fortnight in the uk what does that actually mean uh, when it comes to wine well we shall find out uh, later on like so many in the trade rollo began his career uh, on the shop floor at Oddbins before working vintages in australia and new zealand and he's also celebrated for more than just uh, wine work a one-time club promoter at the legendary hacienda nightclub in the 90s uh, he's now involved in some of london's top restaurants including uh, fino barafina and quo vadis uh, rollo welcome to the drinking hour thank you david yeah it's a pleasure to be here We'll talk uh, fair trade a little later because it's uh, multifaceted, like uh, all things uh, regarding sustainability. But first, I really want to focus on you and uh, then your wines. Uh, tell us about those early days and how the wine world came calling. Yes, well, um, I suppose it was in the latter years of the 90s where I stumbled out of the uh, club scene and into the wine scene, uh, looking for a job, looking for a change. And uh, I started off working with Oddbins on the shop floor, lugging boxes around. And there, just through being in store and tasting and um, getting to really understand wines, uh, there began my my love for all things, um, all things wine. So uh, from there, I was extremely lucky to... Uh, manage uh, several months actually in Italy, traveling ar around, working in a number of different wineries, learning Italian and learning the basics of wine. Uh, and um, following that, I was uh, lucky to go and find myself a job at Wirra Wirra uh, in McLaren Vale, Australia, which really um, that was the, 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 the one that got me hook, line and sinker. 
So um, <clears throat> it's an absolutely wonderful industry as a whole. It's a small industry, a close industry, a very friendly industry. Uh, we are working with agriculture, uh, product development, marketing, global travel, global communication, different cultures. It's, it's absolutely fascinating right the way from Vine all the way through to the end consumer. And um, yeah, I'm very, very, I feel very, very lucky to be where I am with it. I talk to many people in the wine world, but I can't think of another one who has managed uh, a major, celebrated, legendary, sometimes notorious nightclub. Um, are we talking about the, the, the sort of happy Mondays, early 90s, uh, Hacienda era here? Uh, that that sort of thing, yeah. Nineteen. Um, well, I started doing shows there in nineteen ninety two, uh, and continued those till about nineteen ninety six. So I wasn't running the club as such, but I was putting a lot of shows on in there and in a number of sort of um, key uh, venues across Manchester and actually ultimately the UK, um, which ended up with my being involved with festivals and that sort of thing so it was lots of fun um immense amounts of fun as a uh, early 20 year old to a you know early and mid 20s so yeah it was a fantastic experience and quite a quite a serious learning curve as well as you can probably imagine well i i really can yeah uh, tell us about your father's influence on you as well because uh, roger uh, your father was was there first with wine wasn't he uh, he was there first and he's still very much there now. So uh, we speak uh, almost daily. He's um, on my shoulder giving me fantastic advice and support. Uh, and that's really where I started. So post vintages, I went and was fortunate enough to get a job with uh, his business, which was Western Wines, based in Shropshire, where we lived. And uh, I started on the road as a junior salesman worked my way up and was part of uh, uh, initially a small business that grew and became a fantastic uh, success story for for all those involved. So he had a, a wonderful team, many of whom have gone on to develop fantastic businesses to this day. And uh, I worked with Western Wines from 1998 till 2006 when he sold the business. Uh, and then started with Journey's End in 2007. But yeah, Western Wines was focused on the off-trade and the grocery sector. And then I jumped from there into the Journey's End wine farm, which was initially a family home uh, with a small piece of vineyard. And in 2007, we took the decision to try and do something a little bit more serious with it. And um, that's been my, my baby really ever since then. You're from Shropshire, as you mentioned. So what attracted Roger, uh, your father, and you to South Africa? Well, I, I think my father um, was the leading light in this. And I believe he was at a dinner in Italy just after Vin Italy in late 1993 or early 1994. And around the table at dinner, towards the end of dinner, they said, well, where is going to be the next hotspot for wine production that is not currently on the radar. And someone said, well, it's going to be South Africa. Apartheid's just come to an end. Uh, free trade is opening up. It's not in the global marketplace. And so the very next day, my father sent his number two, a Jeremy Spencer, on an aeroplane to South Africa. Jeremy arrived in South Africa and uh, 
signed up all the major producers and off they went from there. They created Kumala, uh, bought a little bit of land, which was Journey's End at that time, <clears throat> and subsequently controlled 55% of all South Africa's wine exports uh, until 2006. Wow. So which brands are we talking about there then? Uh, well, principally Kumala, which would have been the headline brand, which they created, but we imported and represented companies such as Douglas Green Bellingham, DGB, Villiera, and there are a whole host of own label products, exclusive labels, exclusive brands. But the principal one and the one that was really driving South Africa's growth over that period was Kumala. It's a huge brand. Uh, tell us about uh, Journey's End then, because uh, Journey's End, by contrast, certainly initially really was quite small scale, wasn't it? Yes. So Journey's End was an altogether different project and in pretty much the opposite to what Western Wines was initially about. We took on or I took on a small farm which had four blocks, one block of Chardonnay, one block of Shiraz, one block of Cabernet and one block of Merlot. And all these were planted between 1994 and 1998. And so production was small. We had no winery. We had no real infrastructure on the farm. <clears throat> we had a beautiful house, thatch roof that my mother built. And so I set about really trying to build and help contribute towards the premium South African category and awareness of that category. Because up until 2007, the market had been dominated largely by grocery products and lower priced wines, uh, largely supplied through Western Wines, my father's business, which by that point was sold. So I felt that we had a job to do in really promoting premium South Africa, helping open up the world to the quality that South Africa was out there to produce. So having moved from selling millions of cases of wines, I started off with one pallet, I think, in 2007, and then moved to four or five in 2008, and we've developed the business from there. And tell us about Journey's <laughs> End itself. Um, paint us a picture, if you like, of the location. Well, it's um, a viticultural paradise, absolutely spectacular, beautiful views on a landscape that overlooks the Atlantic Ocean and the Cape of Good Hope. Uh, starting at about 50 metres above sea level, rising to 300 metres above sea level, <clears throat> with incredible bird life, incredible wildlife. And it's a very peaceful, peaceful spot. It's a beautiful farm. And we have, over the years, bought a little bit more land, really focused on conservation, sustainable wine production, our team, the environment, uh, wildlife. So... Yeah, it's beautiful. It's not, uh, we're not intensively farming wine. We have areas of the farm put down to wheat, which is good for the wildlife. We have uh, an endangered indigenous wildflower meadow. Uh, we have, we've just planted a 6,000 spec boom trees, which is a massive CO2 sponge. A spec boom plant uh, is about 7.5 times more um, more efficient at removing CO2 than a fully grown uh, hardwood tree. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a veritable paradise, very peaceful, quiet, beautiful, with incredible views. 
Um, but we're not unique in that in the Western Cape. I think there are many, many, many producers with beautiful farms, beautiful locations, beautiful uh, vineyards, beautiful views. And South Africa really is God's country in that respect. Oh, yeah, it's just uh, so beautiful. And uh, one of my favourite places is the uh, Botanic Gardens uh, in uh, Cape Town, which is just, I, I, it has to be the, 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 the finest in the world, I think. Um, but uh, let's talk about... Um, your sustainability uh, measures um you're big on bees aren't you we're big on bees yes and we've had uh bees uh, and honey production uh running for many many years lord i think we must be 20 years in on the bee program um we like bees uh bees are key to uh i th- i think uh our, our ecosystem probably the survival of mankind and many other uh, animals in the world. We need them to pollinate our vines, uh, but more importantly, um, because they're not key to pollinating our vines, more importantly, the v- bee for me symbolises a clean vineyard. And if we have uh, bees happily thriving across our farm, uh, producing honey uh, and in a healthy state, uh, for me, uh, we have a healthy vineyard. Uh, and it's a healthy place to be. And that is further supported by unbelievable bird life, wildlife that we have as well uh, on the farm. And uh, you've won various awards for your uh, sustainability um, efforts. What sort of uh, uh, things are you doing uh, beyond obviously promoting bees? Uh, I think that there's uh, you mentioned a, a couple of things uh, just now. But um, what are you what are you seeking to achieve across the board? We are seeking to be entirely um, self-sufficient, carbon negative, which we are, very, very efficient and um, really forward thinking in how to operate and work in a way that leaves minimal footprint on the environment and in fact enhances the environment and benefits the environment and our surroundings. So. Um, from a farming perspective, we would plant wheat and lupins between our vineyard rows. Wheat helps prevent soil erosion. If you imagine our vineyards going from 50 metres to 300 metres, that's quite a climb. And the root system of <coughs> wheat really is beneficial in keeping all our topsoils in place. Lupins is a fantastic nitrogen fixer, which helps with the even ripeness of our bunches. Uh, We've got uh, several pairs of spotted eagle owls living on the farm. Uh, The eagle owls go around mopping up the rodents so we don't have to put poisons down. We've got the bees happily buzzing away. And then water. Water is incredibly important. And this last year and a half during lockdown, we've really focused on the development of water channeling and water catchment whereby all the rainwater that comes down, we try and catch as much as we possibly can. And we funnel that into our dams. Uh, Those dams feed the vineyards. Our winery is fed by our own borehole. The dirty water is sent through our own water treatment plant back into the dams, back onto onto the vineyards. So we have a permanent recycling of water going on because water is hugely, hugely important and really needs uh, to be respected. And 
uh, as was highlighted between 2016 and 2018 with the droughts that um, the Western Cape saw, where Cape Town pretty much ran out of water, came within mm. days of all the taps being turned off. It really was uh, that close, wasn't it? It was um, seriously hairy, uh, that uh, situation in Cape Town a couple of years ago, wasn't it? Uh, it, it was. It got. I think it got uh, within within uh, a matter of two or three weeks of all taps being being turned off. There were no water treatment plants to pull water out of the sea, uh, and it was it was a very very worrying scenario and one that we've uh, have we did we foresee it? No, but we took a decision to become independent and to be able to stand on our own two feet not just with water, but also with energy. So we were, I think, the second wine farm in South Africa to become solar powered. Our winery runs on solar, our principal properties run on solar. Uh, and uh, again, that was because we wanted to take ourselves away from uh, ESCOM and the electricity supply in in um, the Western Cape, which is hitherto today, um, what some uh, 12 years later since we put the solar in uh, provide creating a lot of problems for people um, you have power outages power issues and for me with the amount of sun going on in the western cape there's no excuse not to go solar and to really capture that uh, energy mm. it's uh, an impressive raft of measures and you, you make a, um, a very powerful uh, business case for them as well. Um, in terms of the stuff that you're doing, um, none of that comes cheap. Um, you know, obviously, you would argue, I'm sure, that, uh, that, that you get a return on your investment. But um, the margins are so tight and you're still uh, you provide, uh, as I said in the introduction, wines to uh, to restaurants. But you're also making wines for major retailers, for uh, British supermarkets, amongst others. Um, a few of them feature in our IWSC highlights. They're great wines. I've been tasting them. Uh, how is it working with major retailers and their margins? Well, it's very tough, um, especially now where there's no secret there's significant inflation going on pretty much wherever anyone looks. Um, we've had an ongoing scenario with South Africa since I started with Journey's End, whereby South Africa has inflation running at seven or so percent. Um, and um, with that, um, our costs are always going up. Uh, and um, there are a few ways that you can deal with that. Um, we try and deal with it by increasing scale because there's nothing worse than having to try and put your pricing up. Um, and it is something we need to battle with. But this year, specifically in the last eight months, have really seen something that is, is unprecedented right across the industry. And that is right the way from uh, the vineyard all the way through to it, the, a bottle ending up in a consumer's hands, there are cost increases, whether that be glass or tin or transport or paper, uh, 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 all the way through to, to the end consumer, everyone is being impacted at this precise time. We're not sure whether this will be short-lived, but I suspect it's, it's here to stay for, for, for certainly the next year or two. 
And South Africa's winemakers, uh, its drinks industry more generally, has had a very uh, tough time of the pandemic too, with the domestic uh, alcohol bans. Uh, there was a case made for those bans that uh, it was easing the pressure on uh, a strained health service, of course, to uh, play devil's advocate and to, to look at the, mm. the, the motivation for the South African government to do it. But it caused a lot of damage, didn't it? It caused a huge amount of damage and put um, uh, an entire raft of um, uh, industries um, really under immense pressure. Uh, and it was incredibly sad to, to see. Uh, we were very fortunate in the UK to have significant government support behind this pandemic, uh, whether one was in wine or as I witnessed with my restaurant uh, business. Um, where without the furlough scheme, there would have been a huge amount more casualties out there. Um, in South Africa, there was no such thing as the furlough scheme. And there was very little government support. If you're a restauranter, you were told to close. <clears throat> if you're a wine producer selling wine only in the domestic market, there were many, many months where you couldn't sell any wine. Uh, and that for me... Um, is just incredibly hard for so many people and, and and devastating. And I think the sector of the market where it was most devastating was with the boutique uh, producers right at the top of the tree who make really, really beautiful boutique wines. They've got wonderful cellar doors. They're reliant um, in many cases on a restaurant they might have on their, on their wine estate. They're reliant on wine tourism and... Um, these guys really, really did struggle. And wine tourism is only now just coming back. I'd say from February, March, South Africa is now beginning to roar again to life. Uh, and um, But, you know, this whole Christmas period, this whole last year uh, and the year before has been really terminal for them and very sad to see. Well, it's uh, good to hear that uh, things are improving at, at last and uh, it continues to be a very good reason to buy uh, South African wine. Uh, we'll mention some of those uh, wines very shortly. Stay with us, Rollo, because there's plenty to talk about, not least fair trade, what it actually means with wine and why it's important in uh, South Africa too. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. Now it's time for the first batch of medal winners from the IWSC Hall of Fame, all of them this episode from South Africa. And in Rollo's honour, let's start with a journey's end wine. Kendall Lodge Cabernet Sauvignon Merlot Cabernet Franc 2019 won a silver medal with 90 points. It's uh, just £9 a bottle at M&S and Ocado. It's made for them. Um, I enjoyed this last night, incidentally. Really lovely, very approachable, delicious wine. Uh, Kendall Lodge is the original homestead which stood guard over the vineyards in sight of False Bay, a prime Stellenbosch hillside site. Uh, the judges said of this, a serious wine with rich, plush fruit in a full-bodied style, cassis with earth and woody notes combined with the black fruits, all sitting on smooth tannins. Pinotage is, of course, South Africa's own red grape, a crossing of uh, Pinot Noir and uh, Sanso, which has a distinctive character all of its own. 
Here's a silver medal winner from the 2021 judging process. Bayer's Kloof Diesel Pinotage 2015 won the highest mark for silver, 94 points, just uh, one point shy of a gold. Uh, the name Diesel, by the way, if that sounds unusual for a wine, it comes from uh, the winery's beloved Great Dane dog uh, pictured on the front label. The judges said an indulgence of black cherry, licorice, dark chocolate and black forest gatto, which evolves with leather and spice on the elegant palate, generous with complexity and fresh to the finish. And uh, to round off, here's a luxurious sweet wine that won a prestigious gold medal. Uh, notice I say sweet and not dessert because these are great with uh, cheese and uh, pate and uh, things like that. Um, Nederberg noble late harvest 2019 a blend of muscat and chenin blanc uh, with a whopping 96 points earning it that gold uh, the judges described rich baked apple layered upon sweet festive spice and fresh apricot there's a smoky complexity to the palate with a dazzling line of citrus acidity carrying a bruised apple finish masterfully crafted and extremely moorish the drinking hour on food fm My guest on the drinking hour this week is Rollo Gab of Journey's End uh, Winery, uh, one of uh, the brands that uh, he uh, oversees with his company. And we're talking fair trade now because fair trade fortnight is about to launch. Uh, so what does that actually mean when it comes to wine? Well, uh, Rollo is uh, the person to ask. Uh, you have a number of uh, fair trade certified wines and your entire winery i think is also certified fair trade isn't it that is correct yeah the winery and our vineyards and farms so everything that we produce with our own fruit uh on off our own land uh through our winery um is fair trade um that is correct yeah and what does it mean well fair trade really for us is a global benchmark uh on um treatment of uh, principally uh, your team but also the product itself and there are many certifications uh, within South Africa and I presume in in the world uh, that cover different ethical criteria um, we as a farmer um, wheat are certified which is an ethical trading association IPW which is about um, sustainability um, and fair trade for us is is really the most recognised for a UK consumer perspective on um, on a fair practice, fair labour practice, and um, a decent, clean product. So it's not purely about your workforce. The fair trade uh, audits and requirements cover everything from soil and water management, pest management, environmental management, labour conditions, um, um, uh, uh, how you pay your staff, look after your staff, uh, and um, energy and greenhouse gas emissions. So we're audited right across the board uh, in order to be certified fair trade. So it's not purely about looking after your workforce. Okay, so you get a, a visit, do you? You get kind of inspectors come or, or something like you that? Have an annual, you have an annual audit, correct, where you get, I believe the audit is annually. Sorry, I have a, 
um, um, my compliance officer manages the audits, but you have an audit where they come and they audit your farm, they check uh, everything, uh, and they go through all your files, all your um, payslips, all your conditions. They audit everything from uh, the way uh, your team come to the farm, uh, what do they travel in? Uh, do they have a nice canteen uh, for lunch? Are there? Is everyone paid well? Uh, and and so it's um, yeah, it's a very detailed, very um, solid audit, which also covers traceability of your product, the sourcing of your fruit, contracts, um, employment contracts with your team. Uh, so it's very rigorous, um, very detailed, and um, that is why. Uh, it is uh, the benchmark, um, the global benchmark, in my view. I mentioned in the introduction the incredible value that South Africa offers the wine lover. And when I say value, I always say it's one of those things that's sometimes misunderstood. I don't mean cheap. I mean, you know, what you get for your money. That's value. And how do you ensure that um, when you're delivering value to the consumer, which you undoubtedly do with your wines, um, how are you doing that uh, without it being at the expense of the people who make the wines? Yes, well, um, I think for us, um, we're lucky in in having a business which functions well. Uh, we have a happy team. And for me, on my side, I like... Um, looking after the team. Uh, everyone in the team is a family member, effectively. Um, we uh, don't need to report to other big industrial um, you know, corporations or anything. We are a family business. We're looking very, very long term. And with that, um, and with um, the, the business hopefully growing, performing well, we're able to really look after our team. We give good bonuses if the company does well. Uh, we pay well above industry standard for all our vineyard workers and cellar workers. Um, and they really are, um, in my view, uh, looked, after, look, looked after well um, and are, are proud to be part of Journey's End. And uh, that certification, the fair trade label, which we're used to seeing on you know, coffee, bananas, I suppose, you know, fruit and veg. Um, it's a, a very familiar, very powerful logo. Not all of your wines um, carry that uh, logo. Why is that? Yeah, so the reason for that is we, we as a business um, feel uh, or, or believe that we go way, way, way beyond fair trade or any fair trade criteria as far as looking after our team, uh, our vineyards uh, and our broader community. Uh, the fair trade logo uh, on bottles of wine for me uh, uh, works uh, well and uh, is recognised by consumers shopping for wines in retail uh, and in UK retailers. Um, and co-op themselves have really driven that message where 100% of their South African range is fair trade now uh, and carries the logo. However, the logo itself does not benefit our team. So uh, in order to uh, use the logo or apply the logo to your product, you pay 2% uh, or thereabouts to Fairtrade, uh, to their offices in um, Holland. But it doesn't actually benefit our team. 
So moving on to our on-trade and restaurant trade products, we feel that with the restaurant sector, people are less um, driven to buy a wine which has a fair trade logo on the label. Uh, we can state that the wine is fair trade on the back label very happily without having to pay 2% to the uh, Journey's End, um, you know, for the Journey's End logo use. As a business, our drive for fair trade was um, really because it is broadly recognised uh, and it is um, uh, another a way of demonstrating our criteria as a champion of all things ethical, sustainable uh, and the fact that we are really driven to be a force for good. But there are numerous other things we do for our workers which fall outside of fair trade, such as all their uh, children's school fees, if they want them to go to higher education, uh, anyone's medical needs and medical care, bonuses, funeral care. Uh, we do um, uh, numerous things. And then going into our broader community, we have the Journeys M Foundation, which part funded a new school hall in our local township, which is a huge and very smart building. And we also currently deliver 28,000 meals a week for people most at need in our local community. And we've been doing that since August 2020. So uh, I think we passed the million meal mark three or four months ago. So did you set up the foundation in August 2020 we as a result of the pandemic? That's correct. So as a result of the COVID pandemic, uh, my good friend Ken Forrester, um, who I was speaking to on Zoom, I couldn't get to South Africa, and uh, he said the real threat was starvation, uh, and starvation uh, literally on all of our doorsteps because the entire hospitality industry was shut, the wine industry was in disrepair, there was no tourism, and these are massive drivers of employment in the Western Cape, and with no government support, um, there is a real risk of extreme hunger. So we created, as a result of the COVID pandemic, the Journeys M Foundation and set about with uh, eight fantastic women um, building uh, a network of soup kitchens. Uh, and we supply the gas, the ingredients, the veggies uh, daily. Uh, and these ladies beaver away, work away and deliver uh, each week. Uh, every two weeks we get the report and we average between 26 and 28,000 meals a week currently. I was going to say, you clearly have a, a, you know, an immense um, uh, love for South Africa. Uh, your father obviously does too. Um, it's such an incredibly beautiful place as we've discussed. And yet um, there is, when you go there, such searing inequality uh, on show anywhere you look um yeah. you know it, it is it's it is for someone who's not been before it's it's who might come from uh, the uk for example genuinely shocking um do you think there's any hope uh, that the inequality there can somehow be um righted in a way that's that's fair and, and hopefully reasonably harmonious it would be amazing to see that happen i think the government um now under Ramaphosa, are really trying um, to rid uh, the country of corruption, which I think is one of the root causes of uh, this extreme poverty. 
South Africa as a country should be a very rich country. It's got unbelievable agricultural land. It's got amazing resources under the ground. It's got a good workforce. It's got brains there. Um, it's got a wonderful climate, wonderful tourism. It, 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 it should be a very, very, very rich country. And step one is to um, remove uh, corruption, which is hopefully in process. Uh, and um, and then, I mean, for us as wine farmers, we do everything we we can. Um, we are farming, in my view, in a very British way, um, as, as if we're a family farm where your team members are your family. We sit around the table regularly. We have Christmas parties together. We we really look out for each other if someone's down or sad or in trouble or needs help. We're absolutely in there to help help them um, and to really help not just them but their families as well. And um, uh, and uh, I, I think that uh, if employees in general all worked in that similar way, which may be more of a European or British way of running businesses then the country would start moving uh, uh, to a better place. There is a lot of change. There is a lot of progress. And I think that progress is coming. Uh, education is is strong. Uh, my team at Journey Zen, we're, we're very, very big on, on um, education and training. Uh, if anyone would like to do something, we pay for it. We really encourage them to do it. We're looking now to put a whole raft of the team through uh, an MBA um, to further their skills. I'm really, um, uh, I, it, it's it, there is change happening, but there's a huge amount of work still to be done. That brings me finally to destination. So this is, well, if it's not your top wine, it's certainly one of your top wines, the most uh, delicious, complex uh, lovely Chardonnay. I wonder, though, uh, the, the name destination uh, and obviously Journey's End, it all ties together. Uh, what would be uh, your destination, do you think? Lord, well, I'm not entirely sure what the end destination is going to be. I have a feeling for where I'm heading over the next few months, um, which is about as far ahead as we can see in the current environment. But um, I think for us, um, I get immense pleasure from um, really trying to bring positive impact to our broader community and really trying to raise and improve people's lives um, as a result of the good work we do at Journey's End. So it's not purely a, a matter of here's Journey's End, here is uh, the farm, uh, and doesn't this look pretty and isn't it wonderful? It's um, have a look at our broader community, have a look at the smiles on people's faces, have a look at um, the appreciation out there and the support that we have, because the better we do, the more good we can do. Uh, and that is where we are We are at. Um, and, you know, it's all part of a, of a, of a sort of cycle of, of, of positivity. So where is our destination? We would like Journey's End to be enjoyed by people far and wide and to um, have an increasingly positive presence um, on the on the global pa platform. Um, it certainly seems to be 
enjoyed and doing well in the UK, both in the restaurant sector and in the retail sector. Um, and yeah, but from a farming perspective and a business perspective, I think it is really to be that that pure force for good where we are really out there to try and um, affect positive change. Well, it uh, sounds like you're uh, well on the way to doing that at least. And, and uh, it is a, a really impressive portfolio of of wines as, as well. So uh, thank you so much uh, for talking to us, Rollo. It's a great pleasure on The Drinking Hour. Thank you, David. Thank you very much indeed. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. So there's just time before we go for our final selection from the IWSC 2021 medal winners. In Rollo's honour, we're featuring a couple of his wines that performed really well in our usual Hall of Fame this week dedicated to South Africa. Journey's End Winemakers Selection Chardonnay 2020, made for Marks & Spencer, uh, scored a silver medal with 90 points. It's uh, good value again at around £12 at M&S or Ocado. It's also fair trade certified, one of those that uh, has the label on the front, as we were discussing just now. Of this, the judges said, richly fruited nose of pear, melon and peach, delicate touches of honey and chamomile, creamy on the palate, balancing butter and vanilla with refreshing acidity and a long saline finish. And I would uh, echo that. Uh, Tasted this very recently. It's a lot of wine for your money. I adore Sanso from South Africa. And this is a a bronze medal winner that uh, I've also tried before. Lovely wine, a light, bright, chillable red with sour red cherries, strawberry character as well. Old Bushvines Sanso 2019 from Darling Cellars. Of this, the judges said, lovely purity of soft, ripe, blue and plum fruit. Good varietal character, they said. And that's available online at Frontier Fine Wines. And how about a spirit to round off? A gold medal winning South African whiskey. Baines Cape Mountain Whiskey won 95 points. A gold medal. This was South Africa's first ever single grain whiskey. And it comes from around 45 minutes from Cape Town on the banks of the Berg River at the foot of the Baines Kloof Pass. I've seen pictures of it. Uh, It looks absolutely stunning. Uh, The judges said of this uh, whiskey, elegant and poised, combining flavours of vanilla and toffee with touches of lemon zest and coconut. Big, rich and mouth-filling. And that is it for another edition of The Drinking Hour. My thanks to uh, Rollo. Do support Fairtrade Fortnight if you can. You've heard uh, why it's so important. Uh, thank you for listening. You can follow us at Food FM Radio on Instagram or Twitter or both. And I'm Mr. Venusaurus on Instagram and Twitter if you'd like to follow me. Thanks for your company. Do join us next time. Goodbye. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com.